Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. If we have this kind of trouble in the journey, why the need for plagues at the end? Isn't history bad enough already? Don't we have enough trouble? Just look at the wars and the death and the pain and the sorrow around us. Don't we have enough of it? Why does God have to bring seven last plagues on the world when there are plenty of plagues to go around already? That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888-244-HOPE. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled, The Seven Last Plagues. That's The Seven Last Plagues, and you can find this message online at reachingyourheart.com. We'll bring you the first portion of this broadcast here today and complete it the next time we get together. But you can always listen to it online again at reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway. Here's Pastor Mike. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to be found in Christ with no righteousness based on law, but we want to be righteous keeping the law. So we need Jesus. Help us, Father, not to have a fake Christianity at the time of the end. To be true to the Bible. To be consistent in our commitment to the church. To love the mission of the church. That are the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. And to love people that Jesus died to save. As we open the Bible, grow us this day in the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. In his novel, The Plague... Albert Camus penned a provocative assessment of trouble. He wrote this, I have no idea what's awaiting me or what will happen when this all ends. For the moment I know this, there are sick people and they need curing. Now I'll tell you, we live in a world and we worry about the future. What's going to happen with end time events? What's going to transpire when the time of trouble hits? How am I going to get through it? Where should I be living? You know, how will I endure the plagues? You ever had thoughts like that? What will happen if there's a global collapse? And friends, you know, that's nice and fine, but I'm going to tell you, I live in a world where there's plenty of trouble right now. Are you with me? I live in a time when I experience difficulties in my life. I see it in others. And I see broken people who need curing right now. So let's focus on today as we look to tomorrow because he's right. There are sick people and they need curing. Why does God allow trouble to come into our lives? Why is there a final time of trouble that will bring what the Bible calls the wrath of God upon the world? Why? Why the trouble? This week I had a chance to reflect a whole lot on what has happened in my life in the past 20 years. Have you ever sat down and done like a review of your life up to the present point? Kind of like a cross check of where you're at, pinching yourself. Am I a Christian? Has God been with me? Is he going to be with me? This kind of thing. Well, I did that. And as I was reviewing my time with God, my life with God, for the past 20 years, I began to think of things that happened to me, and I saw a theme of trouble mixed in the pathway. 
The very day in 2001 when we signed the contract to purchase the land for this new church, I remember the intense feeling of just how good it was that everything was happening so quickly and so easily for us. I was just elated when we signed for it. And the next day it happened at 6.30 a.m. When an early phone call from a church member who woke me up, startled me, I jumped up out of my bed, I turned my back to the door in just the wrong kind of way. And as soon as I got to the door, I felt a sharp spike of pain, like someone had stabbed me with a knife between L4 and L5. And I fell to the floor with total paralysis in my right leg. The day after we signed the contract for this building, the pain was excruciating. I've had pain before, but nothing like that. It was so horrible. The nauseating rolls came over me, and I almost lost consciousness. And to lose consciousness would have been a relief. It was so bad. I remember crawling down the stairs toward my inversion rack that I had in my house. You know, you climb these things, you hang upside down, it kind of stretches you out. I had one of those in the living room, so I crawled down the stairs, groaning, got to the rack, using upper body strength, arms and hands, I pulled myself into that rack, strapped my feet in, and then swung it around and let it do this, kunk, where I fell and my whole body weight went down, my head to the floor, kind of like a bat hanging from a cave. And I heard this loud sound, crunk, and something gave in my back and I felt half the pain go away just like that. Then it really started. I realized that my leg had been paralyzed. But after I'd crawled out of there, I got most of my leg back. It was numb, but my right foot was just dangling. wasn't moving at all. And you know what went through my mind at that point in time? It was Christopher Reeves. My sister's a physical therapist. She personally worked on Christopher Reeves, the old Superman, you know, who fell off the horse, broke his neck, and this kind of thing. I said, man... I know what Christopher Reeves in part must feel like right now. Paralysis is a terrifying feeling to have. And I had four months of physical therapy. They slapped me on steroids and this kind of thing. Now, here, we're at the beginning of our building project here at Reaching Hearts International. That's the journey I had. I remember for four months, how many of you were at the old church? Remember me slapping my foot? I was walking up the sanctuary. I had total foot drop. I had to learn to walk again as I concentrated on the program forward, I lived with pain, chronic pain, for almost two years because of that injury. I looked a little grumpy for a while, but I couldn't help it. I had chronic pain. I chose not to take pain relievers because I have a proclivity to addiction. And so I just hung in there with aspirin as I preached and so on. The early plans for the church were put in place as I was trying to walk again. And just as soon as I got my foot back, enough to fool most people into thinking I was all right, the county passed new ordinances designed to shut our building project down. I mean, targeted laws that meant that there would only be able to build on this piece of land on a quarter of an acre. We have 18 acres here. And what had begun with so much optimism, where I felt like it would happen so quickly, suddenly I was overtaken with a direct challenge that would take years to work out in the legal system. And our church mobilized with an energy and a focus that we would not surrender God's leading that led us to this property. The Reaching Hearts International Seventh-day Adventist Church made United States history because the law of the land had to be changed for us to build our church, the law for the entire United States. So God changed the application of religious land use laws. As we slogged through one loss after another, we lost everything until we came into the federal court system, And then and then only did we win. The last battle was the one we won by God's grace. 
And there were times I wondered why would God allow so much trouble to come into my life and our church's life. I would have long seasons of prayer with God. God, why did you let this happen? And I thought to myself, so many pastors have it easy. Why is my life and my wife's life and our church's life so hard to plant a church in a place that needs the gospel? So I was whining at God. You ever whine at God? I was whining at God. Have you ever felt the way I did? Lord, why is it so tough on me in my walk as a Christian? How many of you have been there? A few of you? Okay. A few years after the court victory, the time came for the groundbreaking ceremony. I mean, after we won, many of you don't know this, but the county did it again. And so the board met in private and relitigated the thing, and we got a second settlement. And that's why it took so long to have our groundbreaking. We had to fight this thing twice. Most of the church here thinks we only fought it once. We went back, we fought it again, and we prevailed a second time. It was much quicker the second time. We were having trouble getting the building permit. So after that happened, you know, we got the victory, but then the county wouldn't work with us to get the building permit. So what do you do when trouble comes your way? Do you give up? We kept at it. We slogged through the process of getting our building permit. But you know what? We didn't have it when we had the groundbreaking ceremony. That's why it took about four to five months after the groundbreaking ceremony to actually start building because we had to slog through the process of getting the building permit when they didn't really work with us. So we had the groundbreaking ceremony anyway, even though we didn't have a building permit. It was a happy day. How many of you were here for that day? Full of faith and optimism. And there on the lawn of the old church property were the old Hamburg farmhouse was arson, which used to be our ministry center. We sang and we testified of what God had done for us. How many of you remember that? Man, I'm telling you, it was electric what God was doing. And we looked to the future building that would most surely arise on this property. Did you realize that this sanctuary is built upon the very place where our ministry center was arsoned? This is the phoenix that has arisen from the ashes of the past. We're right here at it. Many of you remember that I was on crutches that day and on a cart rolling around. How many of you remember that, crutches? Just a few days before, I was cleaning a guest room in our house for my son's girlfriend. And she didn't show up. My son did. As I was cleaning a piece of glass, it fell on my left ankle And it hit just right to where it dislodged my peroneal tendon, which goes around the hinge of my ankle. And I'm telling you, it's excruciating. I fell to the floor again. So this is the bookends of this project. I was looking at surgery again because they have to reattach that tendon or you are in real trouble. And so what happened was when I was there that day, I didn't realize it, but I had a blood clot in my lower leg because of that problem. And I was in danger of dying of an embolism the day we broke ground here. So just a few days later, the blood clot was discovered. Diana noticed it. They took me to the hospital. And as I said, suddenly, it was no longer about the building project. It was about how do you survive the next week or two weeks without a blood clot going to your lungs and your heart or something and taking you out. Again, I asked the question at the hospital, why would God let me go through trouble like that at such a happy time as this? in the hospital with an IV in my arm and blood thinner flowing through my veins, Coumadin. As I pondered the possibility of sudden death with that blood clot, I reflected on the past 15 years in building this church. The back injury and the paralysis in my leg, the long journey to learn to walk, being hit with sepsis 
at the critical point of the court victory, the surgery that followed, the death of close friends, the arson attack that burned our church ministry center of the ground, the endless rounds of fights in the legal system to find the right pathway to build the church. The attorney turned to me one day and says, Pastor Mike, you know, you're a pastor and everything. I know that you have a master's of divinity, but have you ever thought about taking the bar exam? I said, well, not really. He said, you should. And he was dead serious. You've been in court enough. He was serious. Shortly after we won the legal battle and the building started up, someone sued me. Did you know that? I didn't tell but a few of you here, but I got sued. I showed up in court to pray for two different persons who were having a conflict. And one of them got so mad at me because I prayed for them, they put me on the suit. And that suit was carried all the way through the federal court system to a district court below the United States Supreme Court. I went through it all over again for two years as we were working on the architectural design of this building. The silliness of the suit was manifest. It was thrown out. It cost us time, money, and energy. I look back over the years, and I look at those who started the journey with us, and I see that many of them have died Some fell away because of fear or frustration or stress. Others became discouraged. Some rebelled. Some have come back. But in the darkness of my room, late into the night, this week, I asked God the question, why did you allow so much conflict and suffering to come into my life and my church family's life? Is that a fair enough question to ask? I was working hard on a project for the church. God gave me the strength. He gave our team the strength to complete it. But I asked that question. Now, friend, I am by nature a person that despises conflict. I don't like arguing with people. And I don't like fighting over things, especially silly things. And so I asked God, why? Why would you do this? At times, I was angry with God. Have you ever been angry with God? Have you? You can read the Psalms. There's a lot of Psalms where David is angry with God or frustrated or lament. I was angry with God. Why? Because he didn't answer right back in the way that I wanted the answer. At other times, I was depressed. I remember in my past because I didn't know the way. Why would he leave us without the answers right now for the future? And yes, there were seasons of joy in the journey, but it was always followed by new rounds of trial and challenge and conflict that stretched me. Ask the question, why so much conflict? Why the stretch that forced me to fall on my knees and pray all night? And then I kind of got the idea. Yeah, you know, the conflict, the struggle, it has forced me to fall on my knees and pray all night. Was I falling on my knees and praying all night before the trouble? No. So I confess today that I learned a lot about myself that I didn't like as I thought about this whole thing. I didn't like the mic I came to see when things didn't go my way. I learned that I can become bitter if pushed hard, so God had to soften my heart by health challenges and conflicts along the way. I learned that I can falter in faith. I want an easy Christian fix. I want instant solutions. And I learned that God has a longer journey in mind for me. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. 
We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. And I learned that God has a longer journey in mind for me to teach me to rely on Him, to learn character. And this I did not know in the journey when it first started. I learned more deeply that I am a sinner. And so God was the only holy one in my life who could and did forgive me of my sins. Thus, I came to love God more because I came to see myself for who I am more really. And as I opened my Bible to consider the subject matter of the seven last plagues, this week as I was going through that review... What will the final time of trouble be like that envelops the whole world? I thought to myself, you know, we've had a lot of trouble in the last 20 years. I mean, I'm sure it's bad, but why would it be that different? And then I realized God is preparing us by what we deal with today so we can handle what will happen tomorrow. God has given us a journey to grow in faith. And friend, if you're not engaged in God to where you're challenged, you're pushed to your limits, then maybe you're not making a difference. You're not a fruit bearer in the kingdom of God. And I look at how God has honored us as a church to experience things that are unbelievably difficult to His glory and praise. And so I turn from a sense of frustration to a sense of joy as I reviewed the real reason for the journey. Look at the trouble we all had to face in life. Why does God send plagues at the end? I was asking this question. You know, if we have this kind of trouble in the journey, why the need for plagues at the end? Isn't history bad enough already? Don't we have enough trouble? Just look at the wars and the death and the pain and the sorrow around us. Don't we have enough of it? Why does God have to bring seven last plagues on the world when there are plenty of plagues to go around already? Dear heart, the specter and fear of a future time of trouble is always framed by the shadow of the trouble we leave behind or the trouble that envelops us at the time that is called right now. we got enough of it. It is framing the context for the future. For people dying with cancer, now is the time of trouble. Am I right? Am I right? For people trying to put food on the table with no money, now is the time of trouble. You go to Venezuela, they're trying to survive down there. Now is the time of trouble for those people. For my brother who struggled with opioid addiction, he didn't need some end time of trouble. He had it last year. He died from suicide in his time of trouble. I return to the quote by Albert Camus in his novel, The Plague. I have no idea what's awaiting me or what will happen when this all ends. For the moment I know this, there are sick people and they need curing. I confess to you today that I don't need to know what the time of trouble is going to be like exactly because I have enough trouble right now in my life. And what about you? You there? And so I ask you the question, why are there seven last plagues and why are there plagues at all? The study of prophecy requires that we pause enough to contemplate life seriously. Why does God smite us in life? The Bible says he does. You know, I don't buy into the naive notion That God is passive. That the God who holds the universe allows the good and the bad to come to us. That's what Job said. So we have to come to grips with what that means. So why does God afflict us at times in our life? That's at the heart of the question, the seven last plagues for me. Why are there seven last plagues at all? Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Hosea. 
For us to study the subject of the plagues without understanding the character of God is to miss the point and misunderstand the plagues. The proper study of prophecy, friend, is not some fear-mongering journey to find some extremist outcome at the time of the end. The study of prophecy is moral. It's so we can contemplate and understand the character of God and thus be drawn into a loving relationship with our loving God. Hosea 6.1 is one of those verses you should circle in your Bible because it illumines the meaning of God's present afflictions in our life. Look what it says, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. You know, we've all left God at times in our life. We all play around with the commitment. And so Hosea says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn. That's not passive, it's active. He has torn that he may heal us. He has stricken and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. I mean, there is so much packed into these two verses. God smites us in life so God can heal us in life. We have sicknesses in the soul that no one sees but God, and God sees us better than anyone else. And friend, God is willing to afflict the sore to bring healing to your life. God knows just how sick you really are, and God wants you to be healed. And so God brings trouble into our lives surgically applied so we can be cured of the trouble that is in the deeper self so we can see ourselves, our need of God, so we can live with God forever. That's what happens. Hosea says God smites us to heal us. He wounds us to restore us. He strikes us down to raise us up. This is the physician's work that God does in our life. With the surgeon's scalpel, he is cutting, he is making us whole, he is working his will for our good. The Christian that has no trouble in their walk with God does not know God. Jesus says, as many as I love, I discipline and I rebuke. Hosea 6.3 says, let us know. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. That's why it happens. Friends, we don't get God by an easy Christian journey. We get God when it's rough and tough. That's when we really come to know God. I've discovered in my life that God comes to me in the most personal kind of way when times are hard. The times when God is closest to me is when I need him the most. Because something has happened that challenges me to fall on my knees, to surrender, to say, you are God and I am not, help me. And it's in those times that I find the grace of God, the richest for me. I can't tell you why certain things happen to me or you that are bad. But I can tell you this, when they do come, and that they will, God is near and God gets through the fog and the pain to touch the soul in a personal, loving, deep kind of way where the soul has the peace to know that God is near. That's what it's about. Isaiah 63, 9 is one of the most awesome verses in the Bible that goes along with this idea. In all of their affliction, he, God, was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Let's face it. God has to fight with us to save us. God has to strike us to create discipline in us. God has to go after the junk that would keep us out of heaven so he can save us. And so God has a controversy with his people at times. The Bible is very clear. When God brings affliction into our lives, God is afflicted by the same affliction. It hurts God to discipline us, but he does for our own good. That means it hurts God more than us to save us. 
That is something we don't often think about, but the Scripture is clear. In all of their affliction, He was afflicted, and the angel of His presence saved them. Sometimes we think that we need to be saved by just being delivered. If I just have all the trouble go away, then I'd be saved. But we fail to understand that it's not being delivered or saved that we need the most. What we need the most is the presence of God in our life. And so God allows it to happen to us. So we fall and we crunch down our knees and thus God is with us. When John Wesley was dying, he'd been through a life journey. He'd struggled with the sense of Christian commitment and acceptance with God for a good hunk of his life. And after he'd weathered it all, his death on his deathbed, John Wesley, the great revivalist and preacher, said, God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. He died with a smile on his face. Life eternal, friend, is to know God. Jesus said, this is life eternal. They might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. When Job was smitten hard with plagues and trouble, you know, this whirlwind came, killed his family. Then got sick and the devil threw a bunch of sores on his body. He lost everything he had, his cattle, his servants, and his children. And his wife was with him still. She was not supportive of him at that time. So Job was a crunched down, frustrated man. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for the first portion of the seven last plagues. Join us again the next time we get together when we complete this message. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Again, you can listen to this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com in its entirety, along with the rest of the Cosmic Controversy series. And join us again next time. We so appreciate you listening. For Pastor Michael Oxentenko and everyone here, we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Your heart.